What is up? Welcome to Ranch Life. Because there's nothing more important than feeling good. We have a special episode for you today. Kind of exciting. It's actually like, like a month-long thing we're going to be doing. It's called Meat-tober. <laughs> I know. Exciting. Um, I'm going to explain this to you. All of it to you. I'll put my phone on silent. Basically, what we're going to do is I'm going to go over two books I recently read. Uh, we're going to do some moments, as we always do in the middle. And then we're going to talk about Meet-tober. Pretty, pretty exciting. I uh, forgot my laptop, so <laughs> this is just going to be no sound. So no no Beethoven's uh, Fifth Symphony or anything. But, you know, it is what it is. Old-fashioned, I got paper. Before we begin, I'm going to give you a rundown of terms we're going to use in, in this podcast. Uh, in the description, I will have this broken down with the definitions so you can cite those. And on the Rents Life website, there will be a glossary of terms as well. So here's some of the terms. Uh, nose to tail diet, ruminant, uh, sustainable agriculture, regenerative agriculture, methylation, apoptosis, autophagy, isothionates, polyphenols, oxalates, lechins, inflammation, epidemiological research, sulforaphane, glucoraphanin, glycemic index, tallow, and ghee. So at any point in time I mention those terms and you're unfamiliar, you can go to the description or the website to get those terms. So without further ado, I'm going to talk about the book Sacred Cow. I'm going to put it right here on the side of the screen. What a book. You should read this book. I'm going to begin my little synopsis and thoughts on Sacred Cow by reading the bio that the uh, book, the, they give you for the book right off their website. Now, I'm not that good at reading, <coughs> but I'll try. This is on the top of the uh, Sacred Cow website. A different side of the story. At our grocery stores and dinner tables, even the most thoughtful consumers are overwhelmed by the number of considerations to weigh when choosing what to eat especially when it comes to meat. Guided by the noble principle of least harm, most responsible citizens resolve the ethical, environmental, and nutritional conundrum by quitting meat entirely. But can a healthy, sustainable, and conscientious food system exist without animals? Sacred Cow probes the fundamental moral, environmental, and nutritional quandaries we face in raising and eating animals. In the book and film project, they focus their lens on the largest and perhaps most marginalized of farmed animals, the cow. Uh, I do want to say I love the double entendre of the title Psychered Cow. If you've never heard the expression sacred cow as defined in the dictionary, sacred cow is an idea, custom, or institution held especially unreasonably or to be above criticism. So, I mean, that's super fitting. (sighs) On to my thoughts on the book. I wrote this in all caps. Read this book. If you know anything about health 
uh, fitness, if you follow any of the Wrench Life stuff, you would know we are already aware that basically everything we know about nutrition or that we've been told about nutrition is wrong. Well, it turns out basically everything that we've been told or know or assumed to be true about red meat, sustainability, and resilience in the food system is, is wrong as well. You know, people do have great intentions, and I do think most people are trying to trying their best. Uh, and I think they're, you know, you want to feel good about what you eat. You don't want to feel like you're inflicting harm and you've been told that this is the way it works. So that's the way people eat and they feel good about it. And the effects, the mental effects of thinking you're eating a morally responsible diet are going to be the same, regardless of whether that diet is actually morally responsible or better or worse, or whether you've thought about it or not thought about it. The difference is, is it actually... And the physiological manifestations of that diet can affect your brain function, which we've talked about in our uh, Count Your Macros podcast last year. So, continuing on about the book. I've kind of sketched this out, what I'm going to say, just to try to make it easier. Uh, This book does a great job of explaining how we need to build resilience in our food systems. This is absolutely essential as we face climate change and the slow, steady growth of global population. In Sacred Cow, we are introduced to regenerative, 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 I can't say that, regenerative agriculture. That is beyond sustainable agriculture. Right now, we're really focused on sustainability and regenerative regenerative processes is where we need to be. We've burnt up a lot of resources and then we go, oh, well, let's just get to a point where we're just, we're just kind of staying here. It's like, no, if our systems stay where they're at, right? Say that right now, everything was fully sustainable, but climate change continued to progress. Uh, population continued to progress. Eventually what is defined as sustainable now will not be sustainable. Like there needs to be growth. Because we're going to need to feed more people. Okay? Uh, in Sacred Cow, we also get an explanation of the carbon cycle and the terrifying notion of soil depletion. Why the heck have we not been told about this? You hear about the rising oceans, the melting uh, ice caps. Um, it used to be ozone, not so much. The ocean acidification is the big one they're talking about. Oh, that's a long time away. The oceans are going to rise. There's no doubt about that. Like all the research says they're going to rise. The ocean acidification, it's going to happen. Whether How far it goes is kind of up to us. This soil depletion issue is seems way more drastic and on a timescale that is far more comprehensible. Right? So if I t- when I say comprehensible, I mean like if I tell you um, you know, next year, you know, next year pretty well. If I tell you in five minutes, you, you, you very much know when five minutes, if I tell you, oh, it'll happen within the next 10,000 years, you're like, I don't know. It's just an abstraction. Like the smaller the quantity is, the more you know it and the easier it is for you to comprehend that, right? The soil depletion scale is, is a lot shorter 
like much, much shorter than many of the other climate change uh, numbers. And when I say that, I don't mean like the ridiculous over the top, we have seven years things, because that is just nonsense. If you believe we only have seven years, I don't know what to tell you, because that's just, you could look around and know you've been alive for more than seven years and basically nothing has changed that you can perceive. So the idea of it being completely over in seven years doesn't make any sense. So forget that. We're talking about something within reason. And that is not me denying it. That is me rolling my eyes at people that are being like, uh, um, I don't even know the word. I can't think of it right now. Anyway, I'll move on. <clears throat> In Sacred Cow, they talk about soil depletion. And we, industrial agriculture uses basically dead soil. It's using NPK fertilizer, which is just nitrogen, uh, potassium, and, and phosphate, and just dumps it on dead inert soil. And we rely on pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, and genetically modified crops to make it happen, to make it, it exist, right? <clears throat> the soil is dead. You can't really grow anything in that. There's no micronutrient. Just like we eat a diverse diet because there's different things in different foods we eat, soil is the same way. Soil biodiversity, the amount of microbial life in, in the hummus of the soil, the amount of trace nutrients that end up in a food start in the soil. When the soil is completely depleted, there's nothing in it. When we run out of soil, or at least run out of soil in places that are flat enough to sustain large-scale agriculture, once that's done, all we have to rely on is pe pesticides, herbicides, and these fertilizers, which are almost entirely based on fossil fuels. So we are running our agriculture system in a way that we're heading toward a point where it can only be dependent on fossil fuel. That's scary, regardless of the fact that who knows what the, the, how the nutrient value of these plants will diminish if it's only going to be that way. And they touch on hydroponics. Uh, from what they say in the book, hydroponics can't scale that size with certain plants. I, I don't know enough about that to speak, but I'm going to keep moving on. <clears throat> Soil depletion is terrifying. Could you just imagine? Oh, my God. I'm going to go back to my outline. I believe that humanity can navigate many of the climate change issues. I think science and, and bright minds can figure out a lot of these things and how to circumnavigate them in a way that will be altered, but okay. The soil depletion one, it doesn't sound like there's a way around that. And let me tell you, that is not a pretty way to end. Food scarcity and political unrest go hand in hand. When the food supply gets tightened, shortened, when prices of food skyrocket, people are pissed and then anything can happen. It is a bad recipe. Lastly, in Sacred Cow, the authors do a phenomenal job, job in, well, again, let me read my paper. Saker Cow does a thoughtful, nuanced, and highly articulated breakdown of the ethics of industrial agriculture, consuming meat, and sustainability. 
that this is a big one for me. We've talked about this briefly on the podcast. Like, how do you measure the life of five field mice versus one cow? How do you measure the suffering in, and, and stress and everything inflicted on the loss of habitat when all these massive areas have been clear-cut for agriculture? The, the breadbasket of America is one of the most fertile places in the world, and we've depleted it, and we're growing essentially wheat, corn, soy on all of it. This is a place where there used to be millions of buffalo and all this biodiversity. One issue that, that's touched on both of these books is exactly that biodiversity. The sustainability is in the biodiversity. The resilience of a ecosystem is in its biodiversity. The, 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 you just can't simplify what nature does. It just doesn't work. It's almost like in a, in a religious context, you know, like it's like a God thing. If nature was God, it's like you can't, we, we're naive to think we can comprehend and be able to do what, what nature has done. And when we, we, we can make it kind of work, but it seems eventually the train rolls, rolls off the rails and it's a complete disaster. Read Sacred Cow great book it will change the way you look at agriculture it'll change the way you look at monocrop agriculture it'll change the way you look at beef in relation to the other meats beef is superior in basically every way and um it is not like a preachy book it's not doesn't make you feel bad it's not criticizing anyone it's really like let's talk about this let's look at the data (sighs) and one thing i will point out fun fact not so fun fact one of the sections of the book was supposed to be about the higher nutrient value found in grass-fed beef. It turns out that wasn't really the case. And Rob Wolf, uh, he spoke about this on his podcast, about how that was supposed to be a chapter. And after they went through all the data, it didn't support the hypothesis. And they're like, huh, weird. So then they actually hired a third-party research company, gave them all the data, and they came back with exactly the same result. So it turns out, well, first of all, all meat is grass-fed. It's just in, on the industrial scale, the, cow, the last one-third of their life, they're on a feedlot, and that's where they get the grain. Compared to pork and chicken, which they're fed grain their entire lives, the cows, even the worst cows, get two-thirds of a normal life on a pasture. pasture. The real difference in grass, grass-fed is uh, that they don't get finished in a feedlot. Furthermore, worth noting, the USDA does not have any rules or regulation around using the term grass-fed. It could mean literally nothing. They could put grass-fed, they could put grass-fed on a steak because two-thirds of his life it was grass-fed and then charge you a dollar fifty pound more for that and you're getting hosed. Hosed. Which is one of the big points in, in, in both Sacred Cow and the next book I'm going to tell you about is you know, find out where your meat's coming from. Very important. So that was my little breakdown of Sacred Cow. Awesome book. Read it. Tell your friends. I'm going to move on to the next book I just recently finished. And all this is ramping up for Meat-tober. Meat-tober. I'm going to have a sip of water here. I'm like empty. It's a lot of information to try to get through uh, by myself here without having someone take breaks or give me a chance to think. But I'm trying. I'm trying my best. If you're one of the four people that listen to this, 
Give me some encouragement in the comments. <clears throat> the next book I've read, The Carnivore Code by Dr. Paul Saladino. He's been one of the leading names in the uh, carnivore movement, carnivore diet discussion for a while. Uh, I've wanted to read this book for a little while. And ramping up to meet Tober, I was like, well, now it's about time. And following Secret Cow right up with the carnivore code, I thought was a great idea. There is another book coming out uh, by Dr. Judy. What's her name? She's on Instagram, Dr. Judy. She's writing the carnivore cure. So I'm excited about that book as well. I'm sure they both, they actually both helped each other with their books. So whatever. So the carnivore code is exactly what it sounds. It's a book about carnivore diets, right? So I'm going to give you a little breakdown of the book uh, and some of my thoughts on the book and let's get into it. So the first part of the book, they really point out f flawed science uh, and epidemiological studies. Uh, the fact that correlation does not mean causation. Saladino um, says, well, first of all, let me just say, epidemiological research is just self-reported. And it's very unreliable, especially when it comes to diets. Most of what we've been told about diets comes from epidemiological research. They say, oh, they did that and they did that, so that must be bad. Correlation does not mean causation. Um, what Saladino does say is that you can take epidemiologics epidemiological research, you can use that to form hypotheses. You could also use epidemiological research to to count out certain things, but it's not so good for counting certain things, right? So the whole first part of the book, first chapter in there, is just going over the science, what to look for, you know, randomized, controlled, blind, placebo trials, and all that nonsense. Uh, it's great. All that stuff is not news to me. Uh, if you follow any of the health stuff uh, with Chris Cress or anything, they, they talk about that all the time. The next section of the book is where it gets a little more controversial. He starts talking about plant compounds. Um, these compounds are isocyanates, polyphenols, oxalates, lechins. Um, I know that some of these compounds are mentioned in Chris Cresser's uh, uh, Paleo Cure about how lechins... Uh, will bind with other uh, micronutrients and then won't allow you to absorb them. But polyphenols and oxalates, isocyanates, these are all like pro-inflammatory compounds. But so all the research that says they're good, right? And there's plenty of research that says some of that stuff is good or some of them are good. Or like basically what the idea is, you ingest this thing, it immediately uh, enacts a pro-inflammatory response, right? And then your body ramps up, and then the anti-inflammatory response to that particular compound is beneficial. So it's kind of like a seesaw. It's like a give or take. Um, if you know anything, if you listened or learned anything about like the... Uh, um, sauna or uh, cryotherapy that's like this IL-6 protein turns into IL-9 protein and, and it's been shown that the extreme temperatures can cure depression because of this anti-inflammatory response so it's kind of similar You've, but instead of an environmental factor being like skin reaction to temperature it's a foreign substance a 
phytonutrient or phytoantinutrient, depending how you're looking at it. Saladino's whole point in the book is that these polyphenols and oxalates, you know, inflame, anti-inflame, and he looks at you and says, well, is it worth it? He even attacks the holy grail, sulforaphane. There's really, really compelling evidence of the benefits of sulforaphane and its precursor, precursor glucoraphanin. These are in carciferous vegetables, most notably the broccoli sprouts. Those are like the broccoli sprouts. That's the thing. Um, the, if you want to learn about those, there's a YouTube video on uh, Rhonda Patrick's channel called Found My Fitness. The video is called Sulforaphane and Its Effects on Cancer, Mortality, Aging, Brain, and Behavior, Health, Disease, and More. It's a pretty fun video. Methylation, apoptosis, autophagy, the NRF2 pathway. It's very dense. It's very informative. Uh, it makes sulforaphane out to be the hero. There's crazy research about women who eat two to three servings of carciferous vegetables who previously had breast cancer, who had like 60% less ch- cases of, um, what do you call cancer when it comes back? Uh, relapse or whatever. So pretty interesting. Saldino says, yeah, it's good, but is it that good? Here you're, sa- you're saying it, you know, I don't know, right? I'm not a biologist or anything. I'm just trying to compare all these different people saying these different things. I will link to that YouTube video in the description so you can watch it. It is 45 minutes and it is very dense. <sighs> wow. We're going there. Next, The next section uh, in uh, Carnivore Code is he just goes and debunks a lot of the meat myths. Some of these I'm not going to even talk about because they're just like eye-rollingly bad or whatever. But for, for the most part, it's all garbage. We literally have known forever that red meat does not cause cancer nor heart disease. Uh, additionally, we've known since like the 80s that dietary cholesterol does not have an effect on LDL cholesterol long term. There is an immediate effect, but over the, 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 the long term, like it doesn't change your blood levels. It doesn't happen. Furthermore, I know somewhere along the line that when they do research on uh, cholesterol, Cortisol plays a huge role in your uh, LDL cholesterol in real time. So when they do research on it, they'll take three blood samples to average them. Because just the stress of you being there with the needle, taking the blood, the cortisol can rise, it'll change it up, and you're getting inaccurate results. They know that. The insurance doesn't want to pay for three blood tests to tell you you need to go on a statin drug. And this book really tears into statin drugs, and I hate statin drugs. Not like I have any, you know, real... um, qualifications to make the claim like that but whatever um let's see saldino claims we can get complete nutrition through a nose to tail ruminant diet this means organ meats connecting tissues and bone products like broth and marrow uh anecdotally this has been been proven many times, and most notably uh, recently with Michaela Peterson, uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter. Um, she's been carnivore for I think three years now, and she's marketing her diet as a lion diet. It is a re- it is not a long term diet; it's a reset diet. The lion diet is beef, salt, water. Period. She has basically cured a crippling autoimmune condition that was so severe she had multiple re- joints replaced when she was a teenager. That's no joke. No joke whatsoever. It's just like, what? That's crazy. Uh, I do follow her 
because of the diet stuff. And she has healed herself and her gut to the point where she's slowly started to introduce some other foods and kind of plays with it, see if she has autoimmune um, responses or not. So that's been fun to watch her little roller coaster. And I tell you what, if you think, if you're sitting here going, what the hell, you can't eat only meat for three years, you're going to be so unhealthy. Look up Michaela Peterson on Instagram. Look at her. She looks great. There is, she shares other people go carnivore too. There's something in the face. It's like that, they're glowing look. There's like weird, like fat deposits you get in your face when you're unhealthy. You just, these carnivore people, they get, they slim down, they lose so much fat and they just look good. It's very fascinating. That's why I've been so like, I mean, I've been very interested in it because even the good data is like, I don't know if that'll work. And I don't know, man. Maybe this is something that becomes like a uh, just a treatment diet, a temporary diet, but it's very fascinating. Next section, fiber. Uh, Saldino, the author, claims we don't need fiber for digestion. I know in Chris Kresser's Paleo Code, Paleo Cure, I'm sorry, he talks about soluble and insoluble fiber. Insoluble just goes through you. The soluble you need to... Um, digest uh, I've been told I've been I've read that you need the problem with sugars is well the problem with simplified sugars is that you were never made to digest them like that so your body kind of is confused sends it to the liver it's not really sure with complex sugars they are made to be digested in their complex form and paired with fiber which helps to minimize the glycemic spike of the sugar that kind of contradicts what Saladino says to some degree, but if you're only eating carnivore, you're not going to have any sugar. So it kind of circumnavigates that. So, you know, maybe we'll know more of that later. Um, let's see. Yeah, so Saladino claims we don't need fiber for digestion. You know, clearly, uh, we, we don't. At least some people don't. Um, the Inuit which are claimed, they've come up in many, many books I read about food. They don't eat plants. They eat like an 80 to 90% animal-based diet. It's like seal blubber and, and caribou, and apparently they just drink blood in the wintertime to get through it or whatever. Uh, some research suggests that they were genetically adapted to the high-fat diet, which it, it certainly could be the case. Um, and also a very interesting story in this book. I read about this guy before a bunch of times, uh, Vladimir Stefson in like the 20s or the 40s or some shit, he was exploring, got stuck up there, lived with the Inuit for like a year, saw their diet, didn't make sense, ate their diet, lived on it, came back to, uh, I don't know if it was America or Europe, but then was telling everyone that you could do it. No one believed him. And then him and a friend of his, they actually were in a study where they lived, I guess, in a hospital for a year and only ate an animal, animal-based diet for a full year with doctors monitoring them because no one believed him. And they're fine. Didn't get scurvy, nothing. So based on some some people we've seen on the internet, these two people that were done in close observation with scientists and doctors, I mean, it seems feasible. Uh, the last section of the book is, he talks about returning to the way of our ancestors. And this is very similar in what uh, Chris Kresser says in The Paleo Cure. Um, but 
he makes a larger emphasis on eating a nose to tail with some uh, very peculiar things like eating bone dust and like eggshells. And then at the very end, Saladino gives us some templates for different levels of carnivore diets. Starting with like a modified carnivore, which has some plant stuff, but still basically carb free. And then he ramps up, you know, and at the highest level of the carnivore diet, he has straight up just like everything on the cow. So crushing up the eggs for the calcium, uh, eating all the connective tissue in the joints, the collagen. Um, and, you know, he claims you can get everything by doing it that way. They, he very clearly says, if you only eat like lean muscle meat, you're not going to, it's going to be bad. You are going to run into deficiencies. So I guess the long-term debate would really be are from the Saladino uh, framing, are the collateral damage of these plant toxins worth those nutrients versus getting those same uh, trace minerals and micronutrients from things like organ meats and the collagen from the tendons and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I am excited to see these things play out over the next, like, you know, probably realistically 20 years as we, as, you know, the research gets there. <clears throat> I'm going to take a break here. I'm going to do some moments. Pretend the, uh, the boats are, or wait, is it Beethoven songs playing here? I'll do the angry moment first for you guys. <clears throat> My angry moment. It's not a specific moment. It's been a growing anger with the world. And it really manifested yesterday. I try to be a good person. I try to live a fourth I try to live my life forthright with the world. I try not to lie. I try to put out into the world what I wish to get back. So, a lot of times, I often help random people doing things. And I make sure I don't tell people I do these things, because that's not the point. If I was out there, it's like helping ladies put their, gro old lady put their groceries in the car or something. You know, I'm not, if I did it just so I could tell people I did it to Instagram, it, look at me, I'm a good person. That's not what it's about. When I see someone that could use a hand, and perhaps doesn't even realize they could use a hand. I do it to put that type of energy out in the world. Yesterday I was riding my bike, as I do every day, and I see a family, and they are walking their bikes up this hill. The hill is important, because going up a hill means you need to go back down the hill on the other side. Uh, this, It looked to be a female mother probably 40s, uh, a daughter, maybe 12, give or take, and then a son, probably like 8, 10, 9, somewhere around there. And as I'm riding up the hill, I look over at the daughter's bike, and I see the rear brake cable of this mountain bike, it's like a Walmart mountain bike, is not in the cable guides. And having a background in biking and working in bike shops for decades, it happens all the time. Like the cable pulls out a little cable stops and then you lose all tension. You don't have brakes. There's, and it's as simple as pop it in the lever, pop it in the cable guide, pop it in the cable guide, your brakes work again. So I see it 
And I go, man, that kind of sucks. And I, and I actually rode past. And I was like, no. No, Dave. You should help them. So I stopped. Waited for them to catch up. And I said, hey. I see your brake is disconnected on your bike. I would like to help you. Can I reconnect your brake on your bike? And I started to reach for it. And the mom just starts screaming at me. She's going, oh, you don't have a mask on. No, 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 no. And I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to help. Like, I could see the brake cables just hanging down there. Like, it's like a safety thing. And she's just like yelling at me. She's like, no, no, get away from us. And I'm like, okay. Just take a deep breath, get on my bike, start riding away. And I'm just furious. In my head, I'm just screaming. Like, are you fucking kidding me and this is the culmination of the the anger i had with the world right now we've lost our minds like i totally get that you know with covid being a risk the mask you know minimizes that risk to some degree right but if you're riding down a hill on a bike with a disconnected brake the only brake left on that bike was the front brake what happens when you need to stop and you only have a front brake? You flip over the handlebars. The, the, the likelihood of that girl crashing her bike and getting hurt is far greater than the likelihood of her dying of COVID. The likelihood of her dying on the bike is probably higher than the likelihood of dying on COVID. The, the, the death rate, the survival rate for 12-year-olds on COVID is like 99.99985. She wasn't wearing a helmet on the bike. Mom is yelling at me for not having a mask and being within six feet while she's letting her daughter ride a bike without a rear brake and no helmet. Where does the logic come on this? Like, I'm so pissed off with this shit. How come if I go to the grocery store, there's a cop standing there to make sure I wear my mask like a good little citizen. But if I go downtown to the protests that are happening every night, I don't need to wear a mask. I There's people that's out in the street, they're smoking pot, which is illegal. Well, it's decriminalized, but still. They're blocking the road. They're not wearing masks. And I'm not saying I disagree with the protests because I, I stand by police accountability and all that stuff. Black Lives Matter. I'm, I, it's cool. I get it. Totally. Down for it. But why can I not go buy my groceries without a cop making sure I wear a mask? Meanwhile, in other places, it's fine. And obviously, because of the tensions between the group and the police, like I'm being, I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but you get the point. Why do they have this stupid rule in the restaurants that I can't buy a beer unless I buy food what's because they just don't want you in the bars what role does government have in deciding what you do with your life why is it that I'm allowed to buy a beer but only if I buy a food and it can't just it can't be a dessert or a side it has to be a normal food so if it's an appetizer it's okay if it's a side it's not no I'm sorry I don't remember that's how dumb the rule is how come I can have a beer if I have a food but I can't have a beer alone how come if I'm standing at my table, I need to have my mask on, but if I'm sitting at my table, I don't? 
what is the science behind this? Like, does COVID stay at like five foot four? And if I'm sitting down, my my face is at like 39 inches. So I'm below the COVID. Like, if you kept a six foot perimeter on the tables, okay, I'm fine with that. But if there's nothing stopping people from being within six feet of you, if six feet is the rule we're going by, then what's the difference whether I'm sitting or standing? Like, I get it. Six feet works. Mask works. You you stack these things that are both somewhat effective. You have something that is more than somewhat effective. Good. I don't want people to get sick and die. But what I do want is sane, logical rules, guidelines, continuity, and people who can think. Everyone is far too sanguine in giving up their way of life and their freedoms in exchange for a little bit of security. Who said that? John Adams? Benjamin Franklin? Those who give up freedom for security deserve neither? That's obviously also hyperbolic, but still, like, I'm going to digress from here, but I will say, I did. I do take COVID seriously. I don't want anyone to get sick and die. I do think Black Lives Matter. Uh, none of the issues I just spoke about have to do with the leadership in any of the causes, for the most part. I'm just specifically talking about living in a sound, logical world where things make sense and being upset with how people are okay with things that don't make sense. I think I'm going to skip my peaceful moment because now I'm all annoyed. Okay, so we're going to switch, go on right into the last section of the podcast today. Meetober. <laughs> Lighten the mood up a little bit. <clears throat> so last year I did Sober October. I mean, a lot of people do it. Everyone most notably knows Joe Rogan kind of made it a thing. Whatever. Last year when I was doing Sober October, my friend Troy, good friend of mine, shout out Troy, he did Ketober. We did ketosis for the month of October. He does he does keto a lot, so either way, that's cool. So I wanted to combine those two things. I was like, I'll do Sober, because really, my diet is pretty close to keto, except for I drink beer. I do carrots and yams, and those are relatively low glycemic index, and short of having like a blood ketone meter or whatever, I don't really know. So, whatever. I decided I was going to combine them. I've also toyed with the idea of doing a carnivore experiment over the last year. Um, you know, being someone like me, interested in health, uh, I've been watching this carnivore thing evolve over the past three years, and I was like, yo, let's get it. Let's try this thing. So, that's where we're at. We're doing uh, Meat-tober. Sober Meat-tober. What am I doing? tell you what I'm doing. Obviously, there's no booze, no beer, no sugar, no carbs, no fruit, no starchy vegetables, probably no vegetables at all, no supplements. I will be drinking coffee and tea, which aren't in Saladino's full send carnivore, whatever. And of course, I'll be drinking water. Probably drink nothing else. Um, I will be eating a nose to tail modified carnivore diet. What does that mean? It means I will eat organs, I'm going to start with liver and heart. 
it's a good start. Yes, it can be pretty hard to procure organs, but I'll start with those ones. They're easy ones. There's a lot of recipes to do do with. Um, I'm going to be slow cooking shoulder, beef shoulder. I normally do pork shoulder, but I'm going to do beef shoulder. Uh, there's collagen and other goodies in all those connecting tissues that are very be beneficial if you're doing a full nose-to-tail diet properly. properly. Um, so I will be eating the fat, the gristle, all the chewy stuff on all the cuts of meat I eat. Basically, everything is going to go inside me. I will not be trimming anything. Um, and the way to circumnavigate some of that unpleasantry is by basically melting all that goodness in... <laughs> over 12 hours in the crock pot, which I've actually, right now, I have a beef shoulder downstairs. Um, I'm also going to be eating salmon, and I might dabble with oysters. Preface, hate seafood. I've never ate seafood until this year. Um, I've been taking, I take like five fish oil supplements. I've been doing it for like years now, uh, and recently decided, screw it. I'm just going to start eating salmon. Stop taking the pills. So I have been eating about a pound of salmon once a week. I will just continue to do that with the diet. Uh, I will be eating eggs and bacon, but I will be sticking to uncured beef bacon, which is what I've been doing anyway. Uh, I will be sourcing my eggs locally for actual, like, just real chickens doing the chicken thing. And if you know anything about eggs, like, those eggs are just so much better than your shit store eggs. <laughs> Sorry. Um, generally, I'm going to stay away from pork and birds. I will try to mix in some venison, bison, and lamb if I can get my hands on it. I'll probably do like a meatballs or meatloaf where I mix beef, venison, and bison, which I've done in the past. As far as fat or oil goes, I'll be cooking uh, in fats that I will procure out of the slow cooking process. If I don't have those fats, I will be using tallow uh, or ghee. I still will be eating avocado because I love avocado, uh, and some hard cheeses that have a low glycemic index. Um, I will be... Okay. I wrote this kind of funny. Yeah, I will not be ingesting anything else. Um, but I will be listening to my body and acting accordingly, just like when it comes to fasting, like you got to listen to your body. Like if I get to a point where I seem like I feel like I'm sick, like my blood sugar is way down, like I'm going to have to do something about it. So I'm not going to be stupid. All right. Duh. Um, I may do a slightly longer fasting window right now. Uh, I do 12 to 16 hours time restricted eating. Uh, I might try to keep that minimum to 14. Sometimes Saturdays are cheat days for me. I, there will be no cheat days. Lastly, I will begin this month, as I begin most months, with a prolonged fast, which will be a minimum of 48 hours. So starting tomorrow, but when this comes out, I don't know. But starting on the 1st, I won't eat for two, two and a half days, something like that. Kickstart the whole thing. Lastly, I will be giving weekly updates on Wrench Life. So I will be posting a Wrench Life podcast once a week for the remainder of the month. What will I be sharing with you? Food. What I ate, how much, and at what times, probably have pictures too. Activity. I will log what I do each day so you can have an idea of the energy output and demands that are in my life. Uh, and feel. I'll be updating you on how I feel, what I'm feeling. 
This will be before meals, after meals, during endurance exercise, uh, and muscle slash injury recovery because you know I cannot get through a full month without getting hurt. And you're going to be along for the journey. That's exciting. So that was Rent's Life. Meet to- Meet-tober. Coming to a Meet-tober near you. So I'll try to do my best um, lo- logging what I'm doing so I can let you know. Um, and that's it for Rent's Life today. I don't have my computer to do the outro music, but pretty good. That's 45 minutes. I got it through there pretty smoothly. Happy about that. And as always, we're going to finish with a F- Michael Pollan food rule. This is from Michael Pollan's book, Food Rules. Um, let's see. Last time we did... I don't know if we did seven last or we just skipped to eight. Let's go to eight. Rule eight. Avoid product. <clears throat> Avoid products that make health claims. Pretty good rule. I mean, if you if they have to convince you it's healthy, it might not be healthy. Thanks for watching, guys, and uh, get out there, wrench life a little bit. That is wrench life with a Y, because there's nothing as good. It's feeling good. Catch you later. <laughs>